0: Good morning, it's so great to worship with you today. I'm Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. Yesterday we had a blast serving our community during CareFest, take a look. We are packaging 10,152 meals for those who need it the most right now.
1: This year has been a very trying year for everybody. So being able to take a Saturday morning and really just dig in with my church family and be able to fellowship with them while we're doing this means so much to us
2: we have a team here that's helping out a member of our church we're doing landscaping putting in steps for a pathway painting his deck we're cleaning inside his house ranging for the removing of trees by a professional service he has some dead trees next to his property that may be a danger of falling on his house we're all doing this to serve god
3: and to serve our fellow christians nos ayuda a, a ver la necesidad que hay en la comunidad y poder um, trabajar por medio de la Los dones que Dios nos ha dado, nuestras habilidades a hacer roofing. Este techo tenía mucho daño y si vemos tiene nuevo plywood porque el techo tenía mucho daño y necesitaba un techo nuevo. Entonces, ah, uh, es una muy buena oportunidad para tener una
4: relación con la comunidad.
5: My hope is that it shouts out Christ's name even louder to say that we can love others without any expectations in return.
0: so much for coming out yesterday and serving your neighbors. If you weren't able to make it, there are many more opportunities to serve with your church. One of our biggest volunteer opportunities is with our different ministry teams. Whether it's giving a warm welcome to those here for their first time with our front door ministry team, being a part of projecting our music and teaching to the room and our online attenders with our tech team, or serving alongside me, developing our kids and students into leaders of their generation. There's a team for you you were made for this. You can go online and find a team that matches with your skills and giftings to get connected or you'll love serving. Part of why we can make these big community impacts is through your generosity. It's amazing to be a part of a church that reinvests 30% of our tithes and offerings into our local and global outreach efforts. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.
1: Good morning, welcome to our service this morning, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Today we start our new sermon series, Invincible Church. And today we're talking about how the church can bring hope to the world through Jesus Christ. One of the ways that Wheaton Bible does that, as Hannah mentioned earlier, is that we support over 90 missionaries all around the world. And if you're a missionary joining us online today, a hearty welcome to you, and we're so glad you're with us through this live streaming season as we do this. Uh, We're blessed to have two of our missionaries with us in person today, and so we get to hear from them. Let's welcome Greg and Faith Hurst.
2: Uh, we are Greg and Faith Hurst, and our family serves in La Paz, Bolivia, with SIM, um, with a focus on discipling, church planting, and training church planters.
5: So, when we planted the Maya Bible Church, um, Julia was one of our first neighbors to attend our house church and grow in her newfound faith. And so it wasn't surprising that a couple of weeks ago when Julia and four members of her family came down with COVID, she turned to her church family for help. Sitting at an altitude of two miles high, La Paz is um, a city that um, is known for altitude sickness and uh, it can be frequent and dangerous. So COVID made Julia's family's need for oxygen all the more critical. Her family prayed to God to deliver them as not only their oxygen levels dropped, but finding a tank became all the more difficult in a city where the health care system has all but collapsed. Julia put her hope in Jesus as her prayers echoed the words found in Job 33.4. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. God gave Julia hope and did so through four members of the church as they went through great lengths, great distance, and through a number of obstacles to provide, uh, to find and fill a tank for Julia's Julia's family. So while oxygen tanks still remain an urgent need in our city of La Paz, Bolivia's true hope is the one who not only sustains our life here on earth, but who we will meet face to face when we take our final breath, the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 12, 18 through 21, where Christ fulfills what was spoken about him through the prophet Isaiah. And um, when someday all nations will put their hope in him. The word word of the Lord in Matthew 12, 18 through 21 here is my servant whom i have chosen the one i love in whom i delight i will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations he will not quarrel or cry out no one will hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break in a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory in his name the nations will put their hope
1: let's stand Oh Let's pray together as we prepare to take communion. Father, we confess with our lips, as we just sang in the song before, the blessedness of taking refuge in you. However, sometimes our lives proclaim a different story. We sing the wonders of your love, but in our hearts we grumble and complain about your perfect law, under whose wise counsel we chafe. We declare that we long for your coming, and we do. But sometimes we are more wrapped up in the gifts that you give us than we are in you, yourself. Instead of rejoicing in the heritage you have given us and humbly resting in your wisdom in the trials into which you bring us, we are constantly concerned about the present and fearful for the future. Father, forgive us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are King who rules in truth and grace You are the first and the last, the Lord of the nations, worthy of the praises of all peoples. Thank you that you bore the curse of Adam's sin and ours, and that through your perfect obedience, you bring unbounded blessing to all those who trust in you. Thank you that you rejoiced perfectly in your father's law and took refuge in him from life's storms. Thank you that you, the eternal one, took flesh, and died for us, and that you are now alive forevermore, ruling over the entire universe. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: I don't know about you, but um, I'm so quick to forget. I promise things and I forget that I promise those things. I say things and then I act like like if I never said what I just said that I was gonna do as my wife, I, I just forget. I'm so quick to forget. Such a hard thing for me to remember. Part of the thing that brings me consolation every time I see the reality of my heart is that the Bible is full of people that would always forget. That's part of the reason that you find so many verses in the Bible in which God calls his people to remember. Remember what I did for you. remember that I gave you freedom from slavery. remember that I purchased you redemption. Remember that I love you. Remember that I'm for you. remember. remember, remember. and yet we forget. That's part of our fallen nature, that's part of what it means to be a sinner. We forget. And we forget that God is for us, and God is with us, and we forget that Jesus did it all. I think that we can afford to forget almost anything in life except that. You can forget your name one day, but never forget that Jesus is for you. I think I shared this at one point before, but um, I think it was J.I. Packer's uh, wife when she was passing away, um, she was sick, and she was losing her memory. And one of her fears was that she was afraid that one day she was going to get to the point in which she will not remember Jesus. But this is what her husband told her. Don't worry if you forget about Jesus. Just remember that Jesus would never forget about you. See, God... I pray that the Lord keep us from forgetting Jesus. But we know that even if we forget him, he will never forget us. And this is part of the reason why we celebrate communion. That's why the word remember is such an important word when when we celebrate communion. This is what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. um, That in the night that the Lord was betrayed... He took the bread and after he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then later on, when he takes the cup, he says, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, meaning that he will never forget you. Whenever you drink it, it's in remembrance of me. Remember, remember that he is for you. Remember that he loves you and remember that he will never forget you. Amen? If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to participate. If you're here, please, I'm going to ask you to uh, take the, fi- the first uh, layer of your cup. If you're at home, please get ready. Grab your cup. Uh, we're going to participate first with the bread. Now, this thing is super hard. Please don't spill it. Let me read the text again. I could still hear you going, so I'm going to wait for you. <laughs> the Bible says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may take the bread. That was delicious. Much better than the one we used before. (laughs) Now please take the second hot layer for your juice. If you're at home, please now get your juice ready. Or your wine, nobody's watching. (laughs) And the Bible says this. This cup is the new covenant in my body. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, we thank you that just as these elements enter into our system, just as these elements enter into our body, the reality of what Jesus Christ already did for us when He went to the cross, when He surrendered His body and He shed His blood. May that message also enter into our souls to the point that we remember that He did it all and that we remember that He would always remember us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we say... Let's stand. Let us pray. Lord, who can be compared to you? You are more beautiful than anything and anyone else. In whom do we have in heaven but you and you alone, Lord, who can satisfy the desires of our hearts, who can actually fulfill all of our dreams, who but you, Lord, have the power and the ability and the willingness, Lord, to Give us everything that we so much need and we so much want, even if we don't realize it. And for that, we worship you, Lord. And for that, we thank you. Because you are enough. You are sufficient. Lord, in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of all these struggles that we're going through and in the midst of all these uh, economic hardship, and everything else we're going through, we remember that you are enough. I pray, Lord, that you reveal to us uh, the magnitude of that reality. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are struggling right now, that they may sense the magnitude of that reality. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, during this season... That during this season, those that have wandered away from you may may be able to see the reality and the magnitude of that reality. We pray, Lord, for our neighbors. We pray, Lord, for our towns. We pray, Lord, for our country. We pray, Lord, for our world. Please have mercy on us. Please continue to rescue us. Please continue to sustain us, Lord. I am so thankful, Lord, for the amount of people that have been uh, sustaining the church financially, I pray, Lord, that you continue to do that. Because the church matters, because we have a message that nobody else has, and we have a mission that we ought to accomplish. Make of us generous people so the kingdom continues to grow. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says... You may take a seat. Good morning, familia. Uh, My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church. Um, And as always, it is such a privilege and a blessing for me to be with you. For those of you that are here with me, so nice to see you. For those of you that are worshiping at home, so nice to have you connected uh, to us. Today we are starting a brand new series, a series that I'm super excited about. Uh, the name of the series is called The Invincible Church, and we're going to be talking about the importance and the nature and the mission of the church and why we do some of the things we do. Um, and part of what we're going to be doing is trying to help you understand why is, it, why is it that everything that we do in the church matters? And I want to argue that this is the reason why, as Christians, and this is a common phrase, as Christians, we believe that um, the church is the hope of the world, that the church is not just a religious institution, that the church is not just a group of people gathering together and smelling good and looking good on Sundays. I want to argue that there is, the church is so important that Christians rightly so calls the church the hope of the world. Now my intention today, it's almost like an introduction to the entire preaching series. It's gonna be about two months. Um, And I wanna explain why is it that we as Christians should view the church as the hope of the world. And for that, we're gonna be looking into uh, the text of Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna be reading from verses 13 to 20, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. So you could please stand once again for the reading of God's word. We're going to do this as a sign of reverence to God and his word. I know that we asked you to stand up a bunch of times, but it's okay. It's healthy for you. (laughs) Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And this is the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, verse 15. But what about you? He asked, this is Jesus, who do you say I am? Simon Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, please speak to us by the power and the presence and the person of the Spirit. Please help us understand, illuminate our minds, help us believe and respond to what, what it means to be a Christian what it means to be the church. In the name of Jesus we pray. And we all say, Amen. you may take a seat. So today the question is this. Why is the church the hope for the world? Or the hope of the world? I think you could play, you could go either way. And I'm going to give you three reasons. I think that the church is the hope of the world. Because of uh, who God is and what he does. Because of what the church is and how it lives. And because of who God, or because of what God did, and who Jesus is. What God is and what he does, what the church is and what he, how he lives and who God, what God did and, and who Jesus is. Now let's go uh, with the first point. Um, this text that we just read is, in my opinion, for me, it's one of my favorite uh, texts in the Bible. And, and I know that I say that every week, but now it's for real. Uh, part of the reason is because it, it talks about what it means to be a Christian and, and what it means to be the church. Uh, right in the middle of this section that we just read. We, We have this description that explains why is it that we are the hope of the world and why is it that the church is invincible? Why is it that the church is the organization, if you will, the group of people, the movement that is indestructible and is imperishable? There is no other movement in the history of the world like this. There are no other group of people that actually can claim this. There is no other group of believers in something that can actually say this. But the church of Jesus Christ, we can say it because of this. Verse 18. And he says, um, verse 18. And says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, chapter 16, verse 18. This is a well known verse for in Christian history, but also it's a kind of a controversial uh, text. Because there are a group of people and some religions that have a different interpretation about what this text says. So, what I'm gonna try to do is explain to you at least a little bit, um, why is it that this text is so important? But for now, I want you to focus in one phrase, in one phrase alone. I will build my church. The word church there is the word ecclesia or ecclesia. Depends on how, where you put the accent, right? And what it means is, is uh, 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 literally what this means is the assembly of God or the congregation of God. Now, notice that it says that the church is people. That the church is not a building, it's not an organization necessarily, but it's people. The assembly of God, the congregation of God. Interesting enough that when you read through the rest of the New Testament, actually the entire Bible, you see that the church is described in very similar terms. It's described as the body of Christ Christ. Is described as the people of God, more in the Old Testament. Is described as the place in which God dwells. It's described as the temple of God, the chosen people of God, the holy people of God. Meaning that the church is a group of people that have been separated and consecrated for God and his purposes. So the church, from a, from a biblical perspective, is not just people that happen to gather together to worship. The church, from a biblical perspective, is not just a group of people that believe certain things. The church, from a biblical perspective, is not just about a religious organization, per se. The church is God's idea. It is God choosing, saving, redeeming, and putting together a group of people that belong to him. A group of people in which God lives and moves. A group of people that represent him, point to him, worship him, and live for him. A group of people that are individuals, but that are also a congregation, an assembly. This is part of the reason why we gather. Because you can be the church as an individual, but certainly the church is more than just one person. It's a group of people with certain core convictions. Now, the reason why I find verse verse 18 such a magnificent uh, verse is because it tells you that we don't build a church. It it wasn't the Christian's uh, uh, idea to create the church. It wasn't a bunch of religious people and spiritual people that got together and said, we should be the church. Actually, what the text says that it is God Himself in Jesus Christ the one that builds the church. Now, the word built there is extremely important because it tells you that it is God the one that creates the church, that God the one that edifies the church, that God the one that equips the church, and that it is God the one that gives strength to the church. All of that comes with the word built. It is God's idea. He creates it, he edifies it, he equips it, and he is the one that gives strength. To put it in simple terms, the church is this. A place, a a group of people in which God is very present, and a group of people in which God is very active. Let me say that again. The church is a group of people in which God is very present. And a group of people in which God is very active. This is the reason why we can say that the church is invincible. And it's invincible because the text says that this is so secure that not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. Now, Hades is an interesting word. It's an interesting concept because it's it's, it's also known as the place of dead. It's where death, uh, dead people are held captive. That's why he uses the word gates there. But look at what the text says. That God is so present in and with his church. That God is so active in and with his church that not even death can stop it. The devil cannot stop it, fear cannot stop it, problems cannot stop it, a pandemic cannot stop it, sickness cannot stop it, nothing spiritual nor physical can stop it. We are part of the greatest organization and movement in the history of the world. This is what Leon Morris says. This is a scholar that I was reading for in preparation for this says jesus is then saying that the gates of hades are not strong enough to prevail against his church the church will never die that's such an amazing an amazing phrase whether we can understand all the detailed imagery or not of this verse it is clear that jesus is giving his followers you and i if you're a christian The assurance that nothing in this world or the next can overthrow the church. I find that amazing. I find it amazing that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we're the church. I find it amazing that it doesn't matter how much you struggle, the church continues. I find it amazing that it doesn't matter how many people die, the church continues. I find it amazing that it doesn't matter how many religious leaders die, the church continues. I find it amazing that it doesn't matter how many people get sick, the church continues. I find it amazing that that the church is uncontrollable, unstoppable, because God is the one building His church. I want to invite you to read the Bible through those lenses. Look at the storyline of the Bible and you will see that that is church. Look at the story of redemption, and you will see that that is the church. The church is the hope of the world because the church is invincible. God is very present. God is very active. He is the one that builds the church. I want to give you in two minutes. Two minutes. I want to read to you something I wrote when I was thinking of this. I'm going to give you a two-minute survey. Boy, maybe it's going to be more than two minutes, but we'll see. Survey of the Bible and how the Lord raise the church and sustain the church and will sustain the church until he returns. So listen up. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God creates everything beautiful and perfect and he creates Adam and Eve and he gives them something that is called the cultural mandate. Work in the world, serve the world, create in the world, flourish in the world. But sin enters the world and everything is messed up. What does God do? He promises that this is not the end of the story. He's got a plan, an unshakable plan for his people, the church. And he says that one day he will send the one that will make everything right again. That's in Genesis chapter 3. And from that point, this plan is unfolded. In Genesis chapter 11, in the midst of people wanting to play God, the Tower of Babel, God raises Abraham and God promises that Abraham will be a blessing to the nations. In Genesis chapter 41, in the midst of famine, God raises Joseph to protect his people. In the book of Exodus, in the midst of slavery, God raises Moses to be a deliverer. In the book of Leviticus and Numbers, in the midst of a pagan world, God raises a whole generation that will be in the world but not of the world, an alternate society. In the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, in the midst of rebellion, in in the midst of the rebellion of God's people, he raises Joshua, a man that trusted the promises of God and the presence of God. I will be with you. Be courageous. In the book of Judges, in the midst of the stubbornness of God's people, God raises one leader after another to bring people back to him. In the book of Ruth, In the midst of desperation, God raises a woman as an example of radical love and commitment. Later on, we find her in Jesus' genealogy. In the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, in the midst of chaos, God raises up a king after his own heart, King David. In the books of 1 and 2 Kings, in the midst of uncertainty, God raises Solomon as the king of wisdom. In the book of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, in the midst of poor leadership, God raises time and time again faithful kings. In the, book of, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, in the midst of destruction, God raises a prophet and a leader that will be courageous and faithful. In the book of Esther, in the midst of persecution, God raises a queen that, w- that will be willing to die for the sake of her people. Now, I'm not going to mention any of the prophets because the prophets are part of the story that I already mentioned. How about if we jump into the New Testament? And then we find in the four Gospels, in the midst of God's silence, because he had stopped speaking to his people, we find the one that was promised in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the better Joseph, the better Moses, the better Joshua, the descendant of Ruth, the greater David, and the greater Solomon, the king of kings. The one that that promised that he would always be with his church until the end of the world. The one that rose an army of 12 broken men that would transform the world with one message, the message of the gospel. The 12 that started the church in the New Testament. The church empowered by the Spirit, says the book of Acts. The church that believes that justification is by faith alone. That's the book of Romans and Galatians. The church that believes that in the resurrection and the power of the, the Spirit. That will be the book of Corinthians. The church believed in the unity of believers. That's the book of Ephesians. A church that would believe in the power of joy. That's Philippians. The church that will believe that dying to oneself and living for Christ is the best thing to do, that will be Colossians. The church that believes in the second coming of Jesus, Thessalonians. The church that believes in the importance of godly leaders, Timothy and Titus. The church that believes that Jesus is better than anything and everything else, that's the book of Hebrews. The church that believes that believers are separated for holy purposes, that's 1 Peter. Peter. The church that believes that holiness matters, that's First John. The church that believes that Jesus will one day return again and, he, and, will, and we will weep no more and the there will be completely destroyed and we will have the new heavens and the new earth and there will be no more division, struggle, pain, suffering, and pandemic. Book of Revelations. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer You are part of the greatest movement in the history of the world. If you are a Christian, the church is unstoppable. We live according to that. We don't get to modify our Christianity the way we want to. We modify ourselves to what Christianity demands. We don't modify the church the way we want to. We ride the wave of the church. We don't get to visit the church and be part of the church whenever we want to. We are part of the greatest movement in the history of the world. 2.5 billion Christians in the world today. No other religion has that amount of followers in the world. 2.5 billion. To put that in perspective, the world's population is 7.7 billion people. And one third of those are Christian. The fastest growing religion, one of the fastest growing religions in the world. Ironic enough, Islam is growing faster than Christianity. So, I'm thinking about the church And I'm thinking about these numbers, and I'm thinking about what the Bible says about who we are. And then I remember that there are 260 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution every year. That was uh, 2019. 260 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution. And yet, they don't stop. The question is, why? Because of what the church is. Because God is present with His church and is active with His church. And because God is present and active in His church, the church is invincible. Not even hell can stop it. I don't know how you see yourself but I see myself as unworthy of such a beautiful thing. And if you have identity issues, this will help you. You are part of one of the greatest things in the history of the world. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is why the church is the hope of the world. This is why we can say that the church is invincible. Now let me give you another reason why I think that the church is the hope of the world based on this text. Because who the church is and how the church lives. Now um, what I want you to see that here is that Christianity is actually very different to everything else simply because of what we believe. So from verses 13 to 15, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. And Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And then they give all these prophets and people they know, right? But then he asked a very personal question in verse 15. Who do you say that I am? And look at how Peter responds in verse 16. He says, "Uh, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what Peter is saying right there, in representation, as a representation of the entire group, he says, you are the Christ. You are the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. You are the the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament. You are the one that that Moses talked about and the prophets talked about. But look at how Jesus responds in verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is the reason why I said that this is a controversial uh, verse. Because in the history of Christianity, actually, uh, the church has been divided because of the way we interpret the first sentence in that verse. See, some people will believe that Peter uh, is the foundation of the church. The reason why they believe that is because the word Peter, as many of you know, is, could be translated as the word rock. But then Jesus says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. There's a few problems with that interpretation. And just in case you're exploring Christianity and you, know, you haven't heard this before, let me explain it to you in simple terms. Notice first that Jesus doesn't say, you are Peter and i you, I'm going to be at this church. That Jesus doesn't say that, number one. Number two, there's a difference between what the, word, uh, what the word Peter means, rock, and the second word, the second rock that Jesus uses there. The first one is the word Petros, and the second one is the, is the word um, uh, Petra. So, a direct translation from the original, it's almost like if Jesus is saying this, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. This is the reason why the Protestant church, evangelicals, do not agree with that interpretation about Peter as him being the foundation of the church. Actually... Protestants in the history of Christianity have always said that the only foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Peter was way too broken for him to be the foundation of the church. Actually, if you keep reading a few verses after that, Jesus just announced that he was gonna die, he was gonna go to the cross, and he was gonna die. And Peter, with good intentions, he says, please, Savior, don't, do, please, Jesus, don't do that. To which reason Jesus responds in a, I would say, confrontational way. He says to this Peter, the rock, get behind me, Satan. Not nice. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. That wasn't a compliment. Peter was way too broken to be the foundation of the church. That's why Christians. Protestant Christians believe that Jesus is the foundation of the church because he is the chief cornerstone, according to Ephesians chapter 1. He is the rock and the foundation of our faith. So what is it that Jesus was saying to Peter there? Well, this is what the Protestant interpretation is. That God built his church and simple people, like you and me, that make the same confession Peter made. The church is built in the midst of broken people like you and me that believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, when we believe that he came, lived, and resurrected for us and on our behalf. That is the message of the church. Not the most spiritual people get this. Not the ones that are more effective and driven and charismatic. The church is about broken people that have this simple message, that just believe this simple message. Jesus is who he says he is. That he lived, died, and resurrected on our behalf. This is part of the reason why when you read the New Testament, you realize that the only thing the Bible requires of people to become Christians is to believe and repent, You know, just in case you're struggling with that, confession is part of believing. The only thing the Bible requires for anybody to become a Christian is to believe and repent. And if you believe and repent, then you get baptized. The only thing. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't need to fix your problems. You don't need to fix anything. Just come to him just as you are. Believe and repent. Such a simple message. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he lived, died, and resurrected. Believe. Such a simple message, and yet, is the most powerful message. So and so powerful that verse 19 says, that is the key of the kingdom. It is what dictates who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Look at verse 19 with me. Oops, sorry. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be uh, loosed in heaven. The word key right there is a metaphor. It's simply saying that the message of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that message of the gospel is so and so powerful that whenever we proclaim it, either people accept it and the doors of heaven is open to them, or they reject it and the gates and the doors of heaven are closed to them. It's, It's as simple as that. We have the most powerful message there is. It is the message of the gospel in which by Jesus' life death and resurrection, the broken find healing, the desperate find peace, the, the, the ones that weeping find joy, the one that is hopeless find hope. The ones that are in slavery find freedom, because the gospel rescues and transforms. Let me go back to the 260 million people that are being persecuted because of their their faith. Why is it that these people continue to preach the gospel? I tell you what, what, it'll be easier that you don't preach the gospel because the gospel might be offensive. Actually, the gospel is offensive because it says that you're so broken that you needed a savior. You are so limited that he needed to save you. That's why the gospel is offensive, but yet it's offensive and yet beautiful. If you're a Christian, that is the message that transformed your life. That is the message that certainly transformed my life. Why would we hold it? We have the most amazing thing called the church, and we have the most amazing message called the gospel. I was remembering this week, Uh, in an interview that someone did to Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, how come you became a pastor? And his answer is so simple. I just had a message that I needed to share. That's it. No spiritual vision, no dream, no nothing. Just I had a message that I needed to share. So this morning when I was editing my sermon, uh, because that's what I do on Sunday mornings, this verse came to me. Jeremiah chapter 20. His words in my heart are like fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Isn't that crazy? We belong to the greatest thing in the world, greatest movement in the world that is called the church, and we have the greatest message in the world. Is the sad news, though. Did you know that in the 1900s, most Christians lived in Europe? This is the good news. Did you know that most Christians today live in Latin America and Africa? Did you know that Christianity is no longer growing in Europe? Very small percentage, like 0.04%. This is sad news. Did you know that Christianity is barely growing in the United States? Did you know that the regions of the world in which the church is exploding are in the places in which people have more needs? In this order, Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Fifty of the most persecuted uh, churches in the world are found in those places. So why is it that they continue to grow and we're not? Maybe they have something that we need. Maybe they're desperate. Maybe we need to remember that the gospel is for desperate people. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we have forgotten what it means to be part of the church. Maybe, just maybe, we have forgotten that God is present and active in the church. Maybe, just maybe, we are forgetting that we have the best message in the world. Maybe we have lost sight of what is important. Maybe our comfort and freedom is hurting us. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we have turned the church into a social club. Maybe. Maybe the gospel is just something religious we say. But maybe the Lord is calling us again to remember that we are part of the most amazing movement in the history of the world, and we have the most powerful message in the history of the world. i got to tell you that that's the reason why I became a minister. Because I truly believe that. So let me share something personal because I think I'm going through this and the church is going through this. Uh, uh, you know, you, I don't know if you heard this before, but Rob is thinking about retiring. <laughs> and when we first heard that, someone approached me and actually asked me, hey, Hannibal, are you thinking about maybe considering applying for that? And I gotta be completely honest. Up until that point, I never thought of that, until that person asked. So I went home and I prayed, and then I said, "You know, Lord, if this is something that I should consider and maybe be considered as part of the thing, I want three things from you. I want that the elders ask me directly, so I don't ask them. I ask that my wife will be okay with it, because that will be complicated." And I would ask that we do a nationwide search. And if, if that happens, then I will consider it. And actually, all three things happen. The, the elders came and asked me, my wife told me that it was okay, and then we started this nationwide search. Now the question is why? Well, I, I wanna think that I live by two principles. Number one, One of the key verses for me in ministry is this. Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 5. If you are in a position of leadership, I think that this should be your verse. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. I don't need a position. I don't need a title. I don't need greatness. I am great because I have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's my identity. I don't need nothing else. But the second reality and why that was my approach is because I believe in the importance of the church and the message we proclaim. And my commitment to the church is not for a title, it's toward the church because of who we are and what we proclaim. So, whatever the Lord has for me is okay, I ain't going anywhere. Unless the next pastor makes my life impossible, and I gotta tell you, I already had enough with Rob. (laughs) Just kidding, I love that man. Sometimes. (laughs) Part of the reason why I'm willing to go through whatever, knowing that things might change or not change, don't matter. We are part of something so big, so beautiful, so amazing called the church, and the message we carry is worth everything. It's worth everything when I'm preaching. It's worth everything when I open the door. It's worth everything when I'm in front of of people, and it's worth it when I'm at home. It's worth everything. So the last question is, why is it that, that the church is the hope of the world? And this is going to be super fast. See, it's not only that the church is the hope of the world because it's God's idea, and He's present and active in the church. And he's going to build his church, and the church is invincible. And it's not just because of the churches and what we believe and what we proclaim, but it's also the church is the hope of the world because of what God did in Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm convinced of these people. This is one of the reasons why as a church we believe in the centrality of the gospel. Because we believe that the only motivation and the thing that empowers you to live the way you're supposed to live and the way that you give everything, everything away and the, 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 the reason why you're willing to sacrifice your life and the willing why you serve, you're willing to serve others and love others is not because you have to, but it's out of a response to God in adoration because of the gratitude that you have in your heart. It's because we know that everything we are and everything we have is pure grace. And the fact that we are believers, if we are believers, is just because God wanted to. Don't believe me? Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, or blessed are you, uh, you Simon, son of Jonah, for this was now revealed to you by flesh and blood by my Father in heaven. You know what that means? That I was minding my own business and God opened my eyes. That I was living my sinful life and God opened my eyes. That I was dead in my sins and transgression, and God opened my eyes. That's what I believe in. It's a gift, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why repentance is a gift. He gives us this thing inside that we must repent. The reason why the church is the church is because God is gracious and good. And He made me part of this. And He made you, if you're a believer, part of this. It's all gratitude. We are part of the best thing, and we have the best message. All because of grace. The more we believe that, the more we would actually live as the church. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we um, Lord, as much as I want to think as this as uh, some sort of inspirational message. I feel, Lord, that this is a call to repentance. This might not apply to everyone in this room. It might not apply to everyone that is listening at home, but Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive us if we have lost sight of how important it is for us to be part of the church and how beautiful is the message we proclaim and how powerful the message we proclaim is. Lord, you chose us and brought us here together. You illuminated our minds, Lord, and gave us understanding. You chose us for you. But not just for our sake, but for the sake of this world. Please, Lord, shake us in such a way that we live according to what we know. That you are building your church and that not even hell can hold it back. And we pray for all of these in the name of Jesus and the church says, Amen.
1: Amen. Before we respond to God's word, we wanted to let you know that we asked some artists in our congregation to participate in the service today. And so five different artists answered the call and um, they submitted or created a piece of artwork around the theme, the church. Hope of the world. So we hope those inspire you as we prepare to sing together. You'll see those on the screen. Let's stand.
4: son of God is stricken then see his foes like crutched beneath his feet for the conqueror has arisen and as the stone is rolled away and Christ emerges from the grave this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see
3: Before we finish our service, I want to remind you that every week we pray for you, we pray for your necessities. If you are at home, please know that we are here to support you and love you and pray for you as well. If you have any kind of uh, need, uh, please let us know. You could text the word prayer to 630 260 I could guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you this week. Now, before we finish, I, I want to pray over you the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. This is a blessing that only the church has. And it's a secure blessing in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says? Thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.